Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. You can also email me, um, Saturdays with Joy Keys at hotmail.com. I would love to hear from you. You can send me some comments, suggestions, uh, trying to win a prize, uh, all types of things, Saturdays with Joy Keys at Hotmail.com. And if you miss a show or you come in the middle, you're like, what happened in the beginning? Everything is archived. Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. So never fear. You can always check out a show, even if you've missed it, even from years past. Just look up my name and the guests, and something will pop up on one of those platforms. Well, this morning, you might be a little spooked out. This was a little scary. This book is a scary. I don't do so many horror books, or I'll say scary books, but this one kept me, uh, I think I wanted my teddy bear. So uh, this is a... <laughs> This is a, a national best-selling author. She writes for adults and young adult audiences, and she's the author of the novels uh, Mem, A Song Below Water, A Chorus Rises, So Many Beginnings, A Little Woman Remix, and Cherish Farah, which we're going to be talking about today. She is the editor, contributor to the young adult anthology Take the Mic, which won the 2020 L.A. Social Justice and Literature Award. Her work has been featured in the L.A. Times, Forbes, Bustle, BuzzFeed, and more. She is included on USA Today's list of 100 black novelists and fiction writers you should read. And that is why she is here today. Good morning, Bethany C. Morrow. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, I, was, I was a little worried. I was like, oh, no, Farrah got her. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but seriously, though, thank you again for calling. It's morning time. A lot of people sleep in, and I appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to me about this book. And like I said, I needed my teddy bear or I needed the lights on. I did not want to read it in the bed at nighttime because I was worried about the dreams I might have. Um <laughs> the beginning I read somewhere you started journaling when you were like really young like seven years old is that true yeah yeah I I remember the day actually that we bought my first journal my godmother at the time had sort of an obsession with teddy bears and so we were at a craft store which was a totally normal thing for for my family and I saw a journal with teddy bears on it it made me think of my godmother so I asked for it and I just have kept a journal ever since. That is so crazy that I kept talking about teddy bears. <laughs> and then you're going to tell me about this book yeah. that has teddy bears. I mean, that's weird. Yeah, I'm I, sorry. I still like, have I, it. I, oh my God. Seriously. So, yeah. so do you like have them like stacked in order of the year or color or how do you organize them? Or are they just in a box somewhere? Um, I keep them in a box. The only journal that I usually have out and accessible is my is my current one. Sometimes I'll have the last two out, um, but largely, you know, they're they're my keepsakes, and I keep them in boxes. 
Now, what's the current one look like? What's what's the kind of cover? Or what is, what does that look like? I for those for the last many years, I've been really um, obsessed with these Cavallini and Company journals um, that are made in Italy, and they have marbled edges. They're leather. Um, they're wrapped. Um, know what you would call it but they're you know they're wrap journals so the the leather goes all the way around you wrap it with a, mm-hmm. with a tie and um i first found one at borders uh when borders was still a thing i was and, about to say uh, borders what <laughs> i know i know and then um i actually journaled about them or i'm sorry i blogged about them when i used to blog and i was talking about the fact that i would really like all these different colors and the woman who actually makes them in italy responded to my uh to my <gasps> blog post and so what? i was just directly in contact with the woman who actually makes them so i i was able to get a couple of um a couple of the colors that i wanted that weren't available in the states but largely that's um you know they're unlined they're just absolutely gorgeous and they just get nicer with age because they're because they're genuine leather um so those are the ones that i've largely been writing in for for a pretty long time with the one or two exceptions um you know, if I if I find something huge and ornate that looks like it belongs in the Library of Alexandria or something, I, I usually will pick that up. Um, but but for the most part, I would say those Cavallini and Company um, journals are the ones that I stick to. See, now, I'm, I, as soon as we get up, I'm about to go, like, Google and be like, yo, I'm friends with Bethany. Uh, <laughs> can I get a hookup? Like y'all got they're called Romalusa. The the style is Roma actually called Lusa? Roma Lusa. Yeah. Okay. 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 So see now I'm I'm typing this up now, people. You should be taking notes too, because <laughs> I mean these sound pretty cool. Just tell her your friend was uh, Bethany. Not now she's not going to give them to you for free. I'm just I, I'm sure she probably give you like a ten percent discount. You know what I'm saying? But I'm going to say that I interviewed you and that you said it, and like right. per, per, perpetuity, the name will be online, so she might give them to me for free. I'm just right. saying. I don't know. You know, advertisement, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. So now, did this book start in the journal? Where did this book start? In your head, in the journal, while you were on the beach? No, where, this, where did this, this start? Honestly, this book started because my agent – texted me and she was like, you know, I would really be interested in seeing something in the vein of get out from you, like a social horror. I feel like you would do that so well. And I told her that I wasn't interested in doing that. (laughs) Um, I was like, no, I don't think so. And then later the same day, probably within a very short period of time, I texted back because I had the idea, which I can't say because it's a spoiler, but I had sort of the twist um, immediately as soon as I told her no. Like, I got the idea for the twist. And I was like, oh, just kidding. Yes, I will. Um, so that's actually there. where it started. Was, it, was, it was really her saying, her saying, I really would like to see social horror from you, and me saying, I don't want to, and then doing it. Now, is this person white or black that said this to you? This is my agent. She's white. Her name is Victoria Marini. Mm-hmm. Now, because in the book, I mean, I've read different reviews, and it's funny. Some reviews say, oh, this is the story about, you know, an adopted girl and her best friend, da 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 And then there's other reviews that are like, this is about race and 
the difficult, da, 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 and I'm like, hmm, interesting how so, there's so many views of what this book is about. What is this book about? Can you tell the audience from you, the writer, what is this book about? Yeah, this book is about the multiplicity of blackness. This book is about the terrorization, the clandestine terrorization of white liberalism. This book is about the problem with a lot of uh, a lot of audiences. I really have to say is that they want something to be about one thing that's very simple that they've seen before, and that is not what I do. Um, we mm-hmm. are always we're always dealing with a commentary. We're always dealing with indictment. We're always dealing with complexity. We're always dealing with multiplicity of blackness. And so one of the things that, that gets overlooked or that some people overlook, because many people, um, I've had so many great conversations, so many great book clubs. Uh, I absolutely love talking about this book. But one of the things that I find that everybody, um, no matter what their demographic, uh, somebody from every demographic can struggle with is allowing Farah to be who she is and not trying to reduce every single black person that you come in contact with to being a product or a response to whiteness. So the issue with that, of course, is that that in itself is infantilizing and dehumanizing. It says that, like, okay, white people can have internal struggles and organic sort of mental illness, but whatever is happening with a black person is a reaction, is a result, is, you know, we are Mm -hmm. never – fully individual human beings with, with our own actual cognitive makeup. So the thing is, Farah is a sociopath. Farah is a psychopath, rather. And um, you, can, you, you have to be able to accept that multiple things are true at one time, which is that something is happening to her, something is being done to her, and she is someone. She is something. And the, what happens when you refuse to acknowledge one or, one or both of those in a world where the world is not going to simplify itself because you don't understand it. Um, You know, it's, it's very much a book about what it means if you think that a victim is only a victim if they look a certain way or if they have no culpability in anything. And my thing is, how bad would somebody have to be for them to override the fact that there is institutional anti-blackness, misogynoir, violent uh, racism and bigotry? Her being, her being a psychopath does not change that, does not change that someone's doing something to her. The difference is if somebody is able to do something back. And that's why the, the dedication to the book is taken from a Langston Hughes uh, poem called warning and it's um you know careful when they change their minds um if you if you're familiar with that poem he's talking about this idea that negroes are you know gentle and docile and whatever and and that's you must actually believe that to constantly and consistently and persistently terrorize someone and just assume that their humanity is going to be greater than yours that they're not going to return you know anger for anger and and hate for hate and, and violence for violence and well, one of the things that I think that is, is interesting in, 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 in the, that you just said is that we can have many things all at once. And, I mean, I just, I mean, this is going to sound weird, but I'm making the connection. I just had a show on, on um, childhood sexual abuse, and most mm-hmm. childhood sexual abuse is done by someone the victim knows, someone the right. victim is intimate to, someone the victim may, that person may support them in all kinds of loving other ways you know, providing food, shelter, clothing, going out for fun, and yet that same person, male or female, may harm this child. 
So on the outside, right. people are always like, what are you talking about? They didn't, no way in the world that pastor so-and-so did that, that priest so-and-so did that, that father, mother, so-and-so did that, just that ridiculous. cousin, brother, so-and-so did that. It, right, but that's because we, as you said, are not able to take in, the, it's a dissonance that happens when you're saying the person is good and bad. The person can I think be it's good a refusal. and bad. I think it's it's the you know, denial. Yes, we're capable. Mm-hmm. We're capable of doing certain things, but we, as a society, and I, when I say we, I'm being very generous because I clearly do not count myself in certain in certain conversations. But societally, we do things that propagate and establish and uphold the society in which we live, and so the power systems that exist, uh, whether they're along gender lines, racial lines, whatever even people who are in a disenfranchised position will be taught and ingrained to defend that institution. And therefore, oh, this yeah, whole definitely. life, despite the fact that the majority of the majority of murderers or rapists or whatever are, are men, of course, people will still, when they find out a particular person is accused of something, will automatically go, well, there's just no way. And it's like, have you ever been, you've been in every context with that person such that you have the confidence to, to roundly say there's no way they did this just because they've never done it to you. And that really comes from a desire to keep intact the society that you understand, to keep your life intact. Oh, yeah, intact because it's painful. It. Think about it. Think about yeah, it. But if you like, all do you of a sudden learn reality, that. Or do you want to live in a delusional world where people no, have the ability people, to do these heinous things because yes, nobody will admit to it? Yes, they do. They rather live in the state of delusion, in the state of denial, because that is what they know. If you're going to come tell them that that's not true anymore, then if that's not true, then B may not be true, C may not be true, D may not be true. Oh, shit, what am I right. going to do now? Yeah. You and, know, and, 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 and so. Being the type of person who's always been like, I don't care what is comfortable, I care what's true. That has always mm. been fascinating to me. That, um, well, the, one of the, the things that you. Will, go ahead, sorry. The, the, way that, the way that somebody will knowingly. Because at some point, you can't deny that you realize this is a delusion, that you understand that you're knowingly choosing delusion. And from that point on, I don't understand how it's satisfying. Mm. Well, one of the things you talk about, like masks, you know, people wearing masks, and it made me think about, you know, Franz Fanon and, 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 and the black skin, white mask, Paul Lawrence, uh, Dunbar, we wear the mask. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we as black people – uh, wear masks uh, when we're out in, um, you know, quote-unquote white society, and then when we come home, you know, we take those masks off. And we, when I say we come home, we can come to our neighborhood, come to our families, mm-hmm. um, you know, come to what we consider maybe safe spaces, and we take those masks mm-hmm. off. Um, and and what we think is that there's only one character here, Farrah, because there's two, two young black girls um, that the book is centered around, Farrah and Cherish, and we think that Farrah is the only one wearing a mask. And she also thinks she's the only one, like, you know, wearing the mask. Yes, but so the mask speak. that Farrah's talking about is not the mask you're talking about. So, no, 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 I know, but I'm just, I'm just, yeah. No, that, I don't think that's what, that, again, that's the complexity mask. that I really want people to engage with is the assumption that we make because of the story that we hear over and over again, if you, if you keep trying to interpret the story from that perspective, then you'll have missed the actual story because 
Sarah. No, no. I'm, I was getting to the thing that she is also wearing. She is wearing a different mask, that, and, and that is her psychopathic, right. <laughs> psychopathic right. so issue that, that has nothing to do with race. And I don't think it has anything to do with race. And when they brought it up in the story, I was like, are you serious? You're going to just let her lay here in the bed and not get her taken to a freaking institution? <laughs> I, I mean, that was my thought. Like, are you, what? Are you telling the daughter to lay in the bed with her? I would never, see, I, after I saw that, I, I would have been like, yeah. yo, Cherish, get out. Um, right. We've, we, we've called some people. They're going to come, and um, we think but this is when, you. But and, when you refuse to see black people as individual, capable of individuality, capable of being wholly, you know, again, having the multiplicity of humanity, meaning that many things could be true about this person at one time, one of the things with the witness is that they have, just sort of, I always say there's like this pendulum and people on one side of it have decided that, um, you know, black people are, are monstrous and people on the other side of it have decided that black people are children, um, yeah. are weak, are Now let's tell the whatever. audience, and, the Whitmans, let, let me just tell the audience, the Whitmans are a white couple that adopted Cherish and right. she has a friend, Farah, and Farah staying with the Whitmans. Uh, and yes. cherish. So I just want to put that and they, up. There. They Go ahead. raised her from. They raised her from infancy. So this is this has been their daughter for her entire life, and they have yes. been very actively um, surrounding her to the to the best of their understanding. Basically, like they've made sure. Well, of you bring up the issue of white girls spoiled. Well, well, yes, yeah, tell them about but, that. But what they what they spoiled. think that they've done <laughs> again as being liberal as being liberal progressive white people who, by the way, are exceedingly wealthy, are ridiculously privileged, but, of course, see themselves as very, very uh, privileged, or, sorry, very, very progressive, is that they've acknowledged, of course, that you would have to be intentional about raising black children and protecting them from certain things, like medical racism, which is why their daughter has a black pediatrician, and she's a black orthodontist, and she's a black hairstylist, and all that kind of stuff, but that's surrounding her basically with service people. That's not the same thing as community. So she's been, they've put, they've peopled her life with professional black people, but Farah's the first and only black friend she's ever had. Mm-hmm. And they've been friends for years, but, but there, there's that disconnect that people don't, don't recognize the difference between presence and community. Um, there's no way that a small black child is going to create a community with their doctor that they see once every so often, Right. And so well, they're very, um, very sanitary about it, you know, because even the mom goes out and tries to learn black things. And, you know, I'm, in the beginning, I was like, okay, okay, that's good for you, Ms. Yeah, Leon. All right. Good, right. You know, thank you very much for that, because we don't want to have the hair, you know, being ripped out from the right. roots, so to speak. Um, but, but like you said, in terms of community, and now also there's another that uh, they're not the main focus, but there's a set of boys um, mm-hmm. that are also friends, and and the one black boy is adopted by you know a white family, um, and and th- there's almost a mirror type of situation going on with them. You guys would have mm-hmm. to read the book. I don't want to give too much up, but let's talk about this <laughs> issue of the of 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 the uh, you know white parents adopting black kids because there was a big drama in our country um, about that. And, you know, I even, I remember talking about with my friends and people, people about uh, white superstars adopting black kids from Africa, African kids from Africa. And I was like, that was like their new pocketbook for the week. 
And, you know, mm-hmm. people were like, Joy, you know, this is a good thing that they're adopting. And I was like, it is a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to adopt, but it's kind of like, I don't know you can't tell me you don't see, you can't tell me you don't see the, 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 like this trend. It's a trend. It's like a freaking trend, like buying sneakers. Like there's a lot of and black it's kids just, in and America it's, it's, it that has a adoption. historical context. It also has a historical context, and that's why right. I feel completely comfortable talking about transracial adoption between white Americans and black Americans or, or any of the black diaspora is because this is not something that I would have to say, oh, I'm talking about individual people who are doing this currently. I'm saying if you want me to just assume this is a good thing, that to me is disingenuous because this has a historical social context. This has been in place since during enslavement. They were, you know, there, there has been a culture of t- plucking a black child away from their home, away from their people, away from their language, away from their customs, with the, again, always from the assumption of white supremacy, which is regardless of what the white people are lacking, if they even ever admitted they could possibly be lacking anything, whatever they gave the black child was going to be superior to where the child came from. So you're talking about like, oh, they're so impoverished, so of course I'm going to take them and pluck them away. And there's and if you if you felt that someone was human, you would recognize that there's going to be a significant loss there. There's going to be a significant mm-hmm. trauma there. Um, there's going to be an, a significant isolation there of plucking a black child and taking them within your own community based solely on the idea that you are what's best. You're always best. You're always going to have the best. You're always going to do the best. There is absolutely a foundation of white supremacist thinking in that in that trend, and when there's an institutional, you know, uh, trend and, and why culture and, and context family? of this, this is the question. Also, why can't you help the the, the entire the family as a well, whole? We know why. To, we, we know why. Well, right? I, I, oh, I know, I know, but I'm just I'm just putting <laughs> it out there. Let's 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 talk about you know this issue of of mental health because uh, I do a lot of shows about that. Um, in the black community, and and do you still think that black people are afraid to go see therapists? I don't think black people are any particular thing. I know that culturally there are always going to be groups and subsets who are going to have a distrust for a lot of different institutions based on very reasonable uh, historical facts, right? So mm-hmm. there are going to be people, because of medical racism, because of uh, just even the birth of gynecology and how that happened and how that began with violence and fatal violence against black women, all of these uh, medical experimentations and all this different stuff, you cannot just like, you know, what happens is, is we end up just, we, we say you know, half Bethany, of the story. We say half Bethany, of the You sentence. know what people are going to say? Bethany, Bethany, that was a long time ago, honey. It's not happening now. What, 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 what do you? That's, why can't y'all get over that? Like, come on, man. I don't, I don't think people are gonna. I don't think people are gonna say that. But I also don't respond to nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't respond to nonsense. If something's observable, if something's observable and and documented, and you can look at you can look at it, and also the past is present. It would be absolutely ridiculous to say, oh well, enslavement was such and such years ago. So we're gonna ignore all of the institutional things that we set up to keep certain things going now. We're going to we're going to ignore the overcriminalization. We're going to ignore the redlining. We're going to ignore the environmental racism. We're going to ignore and and the reason that we can do that is because we're refusing to make the connection between this was an intentional decision that started hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And if somebody can just get you to say, "Oh, it was in the past." Okay, well then why do you cry when we take down down these monuments? Cuz that's the past too. Mm-hmm. So you understand that the past is important. You just want certain parts of the past to be certain parts and of the remembered past. and recognized. So, you know, Bethany, I don't I don't, um, I don't I don't respond to every ridiculous thing, to be honest. 
Definitely. Do you happen to have the book around you? Would you be able to read anything from the book? I don't know if that's something you could do today. Yes, it was very briefly. I have a very tiny part. Um, okay. And it's sort of showing, again, one of the many nuanced things that we're dealing with here is um, a black child, Sarah herself, who is extremely privileged and has grown up in an extremely financially privileged uh, lifestyle. The um, the the moment when she begins to understand the difference between generational wealth and individual wealth because of, of course, um, her family's financial situation changing overnight. And so this is, um, I had to make sure to find something that would not be a spoiler, but it's, it's talking about, it's a conversation, it's a memory of a conversation between Farah and her father, and she explicitly asked this question in her mother's absence because she's very, if you, if you know anything about the story, um, Farah believes that she and her mother are the same. She believes that her mother is exactly like her and also wears this mask to appear to be a, a normal person while underneath she's a very cunning, shrewd um, you know, and potentially terrifying type of person. So she's asked yeah. her father this question because she didn't want her mother to hear it. Um, so I'm going to just read for very, very briefly. Can you just move a few things around for a while? I'd asked him. What do you mean, Sarah? I'd intentionally asked when the two of them weren't together. But the moment the question was out of my mouth, I saw my mother come casually around the corner. It was too late to take it back, and to try would have opened me up to an, an innocent interrogation of why I wanted to. It would prove I knew better, or at least I knew that I should. The damage was done. Move what around, he asked, like he didn't feel his wife's hand slide across his shoulder, or like he didn't know what it meant. I only looked at her after that. My father was wearing a confused expression, but not her. My mother's began at sterile, but gradually transformed into something like amusement, quietly mocking. She didn't interject. She didn't tell my dad that it was natural for a child my age with the life experience I'd had to think it was as easy as that. My classmates at the academy had, quote, fallen on hard times before, after all, in far more scandalous ways. Someone or other's parent had ended up on the news walking silently past a group of reporters clamoring for a statement into their definitely illegal business practices, even though their lawyer intervened every time. One year, someone's family, quote, lost everything, but everything didn't include houses or boats or memberships. Everything was a feeling, a state of being. It was a sense of certainty that the world was as it should be, that reputations were intact. Everything was a status and a scorecard, and it only required patience. Whatever had happened only needed a few months or half a year to turn itself around, and there was always money to move from one place to another in the meantime. How was I to know it wasn't the same for us? So, you know, my question in my head at one point was, was Farah like this before the trauma of losing the house and, and this disruption or was this disruption the trigger for her mental health well when did when did the nail thing happen that was long before right that was long before yes Mm -hmm. that's true so So, okay so i'll give you we show evidence that this girl has been who she was going to be the whole regardless Mm -hmm. and it Mm -hmm. doesn't and it shouldn't need for her to be perfectly victimized to accept 
the victimizations is actually happening to her. And, you know, this is why I, I, I struggle with why it's why people want it to be so black or white. Um, but she is herself and white supremacy is toxic and evil and violent. Yeah. And her being a psychopath without, doesn't take out that. The, take out the, the white black issue. She herself, uh, I mean, the imagery that you use, the unfurling, you know, of herself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm interested you have the rain in the pool and water is really significant um, throughout. And normally, you know, you think about pool and baptism as a, like a refreshing, as a, a spiritual, uh, what do you call it, cleansing, you know, if you mm-hmm. will. But, but you know, and, and here it's, like, a little eerie. Like, I don't think I want to go in the swimming pool <laughs> with my friend anymore, you know. I'm like, it's, it's eerie to us, but, see, all of the things that you described, it is that to Farah, And it's her story. Right. It's her book, exactly. her perspective. So that's the, interesting, mm-hmm. that's the interesting thing, of course, because I, of course, not being Farah, see it the same way that you do, but in – presenting her story it's like okay this thing that we associate with with cleansing and refreshment and renewal and all that kind of stuff so does she but this is what renewal well even when like she causes her. pain when she causes pain right. that is um that is her happy place if you will you know right. i mean and and it feels good for her, you know, and then that's like definitely the the, the sign of the, the psychopath. L- let me ask you some questions. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Oh my gosh, um, I want to say flying, but I might just go with teleportation. So one of those two. Mm-hmm. And if you had to go to Mars, what would you take with you so somebody would know you were black? I I would take I would always take a journal always the journal okay yeah. the, the Italian one right yes my Roman the one that I'm going to... <laughs> if you had a hundred dollars what would you do with it a mutual aid you would do what with it mutual aid oh mutual aid okay okay yeah what's your favorite right mm-hmm a hundred dollars yep mm-hmm. What's your favorite drink? Do you drink alcohol? Oh, alcoholic? No, I don't. I don't have a favorite alcoholic drink. I don't have any problem with alcohol. I just don't care about it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, are you peanut butter and jelly or turkey and cheese? Oh, gosh, it depends on the day. I mean, I don't love turkey, but those are very different. I love savory, so I'm probably going to, most of the time, it's probably going to be a meat sandwich. A meat sandwich? And is it like yeah. the bread, the meat? Like, do you put cheese, Everything lettuce? What, what's the, what's the combo? It's got to be pepper jack cheese. It's got to be pepper okay. jack cheese. It's got to be either uh, pastrami or chicken or something like that that I like. And it's got to mm. be a very soft wheat bread. Soft wheat bread, yeah. Pastrami warm is good. Pepper jack. Do you put yes. mustard? Spicy mustard? What, mustard what's always. Or, um, mustard I always. Like I Bethany. like you, Bethany. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, I'm, I don't know if people are still saying black people don't like mayonnaise, but I like mayonnaise, but mustard is always. What? Well, who said black people don't like mayonnaise? 
Listen, this is this is why I say this is why I say there's no there's no sentence that you could start with black people do or don't that's gonna be accurate. <laughs> I never even heard such a thing. As a matter of fact, I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, I come from Philly. We have hoagies. I, 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 uh, we have yes. hoagies, and you gotta put the mayonnaise on a hoagie. I mean, you can't have a dry. Well, some people they put the oil on, but that's kind of dry. Like most people put mayonnaise on it. You got the lettuce, tomato, the mayonnaise. Some people put salt and pepper. I don't think that's too much because the meat has salt and everything. But I mean, you know, cut, what mayonnaise? Nah. Look, mm. have you ever seen? Do you remember this movie that came out, Undercover Brother? It was an Eddie Griffin. Yes. And that was so hilarious. But one of the big, one of the big ongoing jokes, because which was very true at the time, was that the way that you could tell that he had been turned into a into an Oreo was that he started eating mayonnaise. <laughs> oh my god! I don't. I, that's just crazy. You know, you learn something new every day, Bethany. I'm telling you, and that is no, no. Seriously, like I've never heard that. Like. Um, you know, I, I could say, like, if black people don't eat sushi. Now, that's something, you know, might have heard or, you know, um, wheat bread. I mean, I've never heard that. Well, but see, I'm Okay, but also I'm from California, so that would seem really weird. Oh, see, weird. well, there. That, yeah, you, you guys are, yeah, that's different. But It's reasonable. I, I, that's um, why I always tell people the wonderful thing about being black American is I could go on Twitter and somebody will say, did you do this as a kid? And it doesn't matter where they're from in the United States. We'll be like, oh, my gosh, we all did that. And then at the same time, just like the rest of the United States, we are very, very regional in terms of what we're accustomed to. So I'm like, okay, but I'm a black girl from California. Of course we eat sushi. Yeah, see? Exactly. But see, like when I was growing up, my parents were like into like natural food and like goat's milk. And I like, we never yeah, had, we had sugar and, and you know, all these things. And, but the neighborhood I grew up in, I was like the anomaly. And they were like, you were the mm-hmm. white girl. I was a white girl because <laughs> of like the things that my parents did and I hated them for it. <laughs> oh, like, like, yeah. You know, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to always have our blackness feel like it's on a scorecard even inside the community, you know, because growing up in the 80s, it definitely felt like that. I mean, you know, it's, that's the thing with the book. Like you were talking about, you know, we, people are coming from the book from one angle, but they have to be open to all these other angles. You also have to be open to who is um, the bad guy, the bad girl, or whatever in the book. So you, you think it's one thing and it might be somebody else. You never know. Um, and, and, and like you said, the um you know with black girls and black boys there's also this adultification of them that happens you know that they're able to handle this pain um that they they can do it um even if we can't uh Mm -hmm. and and so that's something you know that also happens in our country and that's why help is not given to them right for example, you know, mental health care, uh, when you see a right. child in the class, oh, well, he's just acting out, this and that. No, maybe there's something more than that going on. Instead of ever child. being hurt, we're just, we're just disruptive or we're just, right. you know, there's, mm-hmm. again, there's, there's that either, uh, either you're a, a liberal and your way of proving that you're a good white person is to infantilize black people or you're on the other end and it's just like black people can do no right and everything they do is a disruption everything they do is wrong and when you don't see somebody as a full human being you have absolutely no empathy for them for their needs what they might be going through and unfortunately we sometimes internalize that we internalize that idea of quote-unquote resilience we don't realize that it's killing us that it's harming us that it's part of the reason that we have 
you know, the health issues that we have of this just constantly black women are supposed to save the world over and over and over again. And I'm really loving watching a lot of black women say, I choose to be delicate. I choose to don't, don't look to me to be, to be quote unquote resilient. Don't look to me to be your burden bearer. I insist that people take care of me. And we have to do that because otherwise, you know, the world has shown it is perfectly happy to bury us under its burdens with just so no thought for what we need. Bethany, Bethany, if I come and, and bring my laundry to your house, will, will you do my, my laundry for me? Is, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Listen, I mean, I'm, I'm black, black, you know, you know it's different between fellow black women, okay? It's, oh, oh, okay, 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 okay. I just was checking. It's, it's I just different wanted to between fellow black women. <laughs> Obviously, I'm going to help a black woman. <laughs> <laughs> what's up next for you, um, Bethany? Because uh, what's going on next in terms of writing? Can you give us any hints about what might be on the horizon? I am I am writing right now. I'm finishing something that, if you're familiar with my first novel, um, which was called Mem, it's a speculative literary novella, which is sort of my just my natural habitat. Um, it's very much about humanness. It's very much about speculative technological advancements that have a lot more to do with humanality than anything else. Um, I'm really that's just that's just the the playground that I that I just naturally go to. And so my next novel is really a return both to that length of a novella and and to that sort of very literary speculative um, concept. Now I read you're a Trekkie. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. What's your favorite character? I mean, listen. Once you have Michael Burnham, there's really there's really no <laughs> there's really nothing to say after Michael Burnham. I mean, Michael Burnham is is everything. She's everything that I that I could have wanted before her. Growing up, Guinan to me was the most mystical, whimsical, amazing character. And if I look back at it now, I would have so many criticisms for the one-dimensionality of that character. But uh, mm-hmm. Whoopi, of course, made it something beautiful and something that just that you found a home on the Enterprise, which which I had, you know, for me that was my first introduction to a black woman on on Star Trek was was Whoopi Goldberg's uh, Guinan. Um, I've always loved. Seven of Nine. I am in my in my sibling set. I am Seven of Nine, and that makes me extremely happy. Mm, um, I read about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love a lot. I love a lot of Star Trek, but I do feel like Star Trek Discovery just accomplished something that oh, I'm just so pleased with. I just adore it. Now, have you seen Obi Wan um, on on Disney Plus and the, and the, the the racial stuff going on with that character there? Well, you don't ever have to see it because it happens every single time. It's it's not a one-off, right? You're it's the same yeah. thing that happens over and over and over. Any time a black woman exists, um, and that's how you know that people honestly, white people think of proper representation as being full and total saturation, and so the existence of a single black woman will attract all of the violent ire, and it's such a it's so devastating. Well, and she's like the main character. She's a main and character. It's, she's a, she's a badass. What these actresses I mean, have to go through simply because they're doing their passion, because they're doing their life's work, and somebody simply doesn't want them to exist in any space in any story is so. I mean, I can't even put words together about how enraging, just absolutely enraging, that is. Have you seen the man who fell to earth? 
that's on a show. I have not. Yeah, that, you might check that out. That's that's an interesting. Um, I mean, to, yeah, man, I do, I, it has been on my list. Yeah, just in terms of you know, like nerdy, techie, you know, yes. sci-fi stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> from one nerd, from one blurred to another blurred. Yeah, I just want to give you like you know a heads up. <laughs> Thank you. No, well, Bethany, it's been a pleasure talking to you um, this morning. I'm going to give away some copies of your book, Cherish Farah. Um, oh, and I will, I will tell people to um, have their teddy bears with them, or <laughs> or whatever you know their their small uh, Michael Burnham statues. Uh, yes, <laughs> I would love if anybody knows where I can find one of those. Actually, uh, <laughs> well, you all you have to do is blog about it, and like somebody will be like, oh, I know I heard that Listen, you were blogging. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start blogging again because it, it had results. It 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 produced yes. results. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Bethany, you have a great weekend. Um, happy Juneteenth. I don't want to forget about thank that. Thank you. Happy Juneteenth. Um, and thank you again. So um, I, I, I really enjoyed the book. Um, definitely um, takes you out of your normal uh, seat of comfort, if you will. And and that, mm-hmm. I like that because I read so many books. I need something like that's gonna like bam, whack me upside my head. And yeah. Like, okay. What's this? What's the who? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, thank you, and uh, you, again, have a great weekend. Okay. You too. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, like I said, I'm gonna give away some copies of uh, Bethany's book, so you wanna follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys, so that you can win a copy of the book. Trust me, this is like something, it's not your normal fare, let's put it that way. Um, So if you're in a comfort zone with books and you're like, I need something new and exciting, and this is it, um, and it has black people in it, um, and they're not in their normal stations, if you will, so to speak, um, and uh, and the psychopaths, maybe you're like into, you know, I don't know what's on TV where the people are like uh, mass murder type of things. She's not mass murdering, but I'm just saying, if you're into like that type of thing, you might like Cherish Farah. So um, check check her out. Uh, Bethany's other books also are, are have high uh, ratings, so you want to check her out in general. Um, and uh, this Wednesday, I'm going to be speaking um, with uh, – an actress from Bel Air that she plays uh, Will's mom, and that's at 7 p.m. Wednesday, April uh, June 22nd uh, here at Blog Talk Radio. You can call in 516-387-1745, ask a question, listen. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. But thank you for uh, supporting the show. You can also donate on PayPal Saturdays with Joy Keys uh, on PayPal to help support the, the continuation of the show. Again, you guys have a great weekend, and I will talk to you soon, hopefully on Wednesday. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT, G-O-A-T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.